The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 262 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is My Mom Died and I closed her home. Closing the home of a parent is the closing of a life. Closing the home is the closing of lifelong relationships. Closing the home is an emotionally challenging closing because of the memories that evoke happy times, sad times, and stressful times. Closing the home is often emotionally stressful at an emotionally challenging time because of family disagreements about matters that are honestly difficult at the best of times. It's also because of self-questioning, like, would my parents have been comforted by the things that I am doing? Or would my parents have been disappointed by the things that I've left undone? Closing the home of a parent is a turning point in lifelong relationships. But the lifelong relationships persist in the hearts and memories of family members and in their parents, stories, possessions and pictures that family members preserve. Which is why our topic today, my mom died and I closed her home, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Glynis Walker. Now, Glynis is a radio talk show host and best-selling author of no less than eight books. Her radio talk show most recently aired on WAIT, WGN, and WLS in Chicago. Before moving to Chicago, her show aired on major stations such as KFI in Los Angeles, KOGO and KSDO in San Diego, and KLF, KLIF in Dallas. She was also the resident social commentator on the daily television program Charrington, in Toronto, Canada, for five years. She's appeared on television shows such as Opera, Good Morning America, and Canada AM. She's been featured in articles in People Magazine, USA Today, the New York Daily News, the Boston Globe, and the New York Times, among others. She holds the BA and MBA degrees and a PhD in psychology. And she spent much of her life as a family caregiver. So welcome to the show, Glynis. Hi, Gordon. Nice to talk to you again. Great. Now, Glynis, please tell us more about your personal story and your work. Glynis? Um, well, I was my mother's caregiver after my father passed away, and so I had that job about four, to, four and a half years before she also passed away. And, and 
she used to say to me when I would go to visit her, I don't know what you're going to do with all this stuff when I go. You, you know, I, I don't envy you the job of clearing out my house. And we would laugh about it. And it was sort of, it was one of those funny, sad moments where, you know, you know your parent is going to die at some point and you know you're going to have this enormous job because they lived in the house for 35 years and they never threw anything out as I was to discover. And, um, I just used to assure her, Mom, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. Well, I did not realize what exactly I had let myself in for. Right. Now, I want you to tell us, please, about your family caregiving experience with your mother up to the point of her death. Glynis? Um, I was a long-distance caregiver for most of the time. She lived in a uh, nursing facility. She had a very bad uh case of Alzheimer's, and it came on rather suddenly. So um, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for what happened to her. It was, it was very sort of immediate, and I had no idea that she and my dad had collected so much stuff. I mean, when he died, it, it was pretty bad because I helped her clean out his stuff. And he was into the shopping thing when before he passed away. And I found one closet that had uh, 300 pairs of these identical Calvin Klein socks. I mean, you don't find that in, in every house. And then I found, well, I found a, a wetsuit. He didn't swim. And two George Foreman drills, which he also never used because they were still in the box. So he'd been into, he'd been shopping. And of course, I had to get rid of that. So I thought I'd, you know, I'd done a pretty good job with his stuff. And then I realized that there was a lot more that I didn't even know about. So now let's ask you, please, to tell us about the ways in which your family caregiving changed with the death of your mother. Well, when when somebody, you know, has been a caregiver, um, part, and I was the executor of my mother's estate as well as the beneficiary, um, it's part of the job to to finalize the estate, you know, to to get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of and... um, I understood that intellectually before I began this process, and I'm still doing this, believe it or not, six months later. I started in June. Um, it's an enormous challenge to take over somebody else's household and start dealing with their stuff. And, and I think we all agree that in this day and age, we all have too much stuff, and after I started doing this, I, I remember saying to my daughter, I said, I promise you, when I go, there will be no stuff, because I don't want you to have to go through what we're going through, you know, get, getting rid of all the stuff that my mother had collected. Give us some examples of stuff. You mentioned stuff um, that your father had collected. Oh, yes, yeah, about- 300 pairs of Calvin Klein socks. He had also um, an enormous tool collection, and he was not a handy person. I mean, he could change the light bulb, and that was about it. So he had been buying uh, towards the end of his life, maybe the last couple of years. He'd just been online buying stuff, and it was all over the place. And and at the time, it was sort of like, okay, well, you know, we'll get rid of this. But then I realized that there was a whole household. And I didn't, because I hadn't lived with my parents in, you know, 
30 years, I did not have any idea what they had been collecting. And and I did find out something interesting, and, and somebody else confirmed this because they'd just been taking care of their mother's house after she died. They never threw anything out. Senior citizens do not throw things out. My mother had every plastic bag she ever got from the supermarket. Seriously. There were boxes of rubber bands. I mean, just the weirdest, uh, all the twist ties in the world. were. It just, it just went on and on and on. And I would open a drawer and a cupboard, and I would, you know, look through the boxes and go, Mom, why did you keep all this stuff? So it was kind of... Um, it was kind of alarming in the way that it could show that her mental deterioration was there uh, before it became apparent to me because she had she was hoarding, and um, that was kind of a shock. Uh, and plus, you know, there's the usual stuff that people have in their homes, you know, clothes and knickknacks and photographs and you know all the things that need to be dealt with and and you have to find a place to put them i can't you know couldn't leave them i still there's still a bunch of stuff in the house i haven't dealt with yet because it's just i haven't a clue what to do with it to tell you the truth so you know it, it sounds like a an easily made promise when i made it but it has turned into quite the challenge let me ask you about the hoarding um the, as you say it's often talked about in connection with seniors. But is there anything else that might be an explanation? For example, were your father and mother of the generation where they had to watch for money very carefully, not waste, to take care of things, and therefore it became a way, way of life? Or do you attribute the hoarding problem basically to the kind of running down of their minds and brains. I think it's a bit of both, Gordon. I really do. I mean, initially, you know, you can put it down to the fact that they both grew up in the Depression and there was no waste. There was nothing to waste. Um, But the stuff that she started keeping towards the end of her life, the last five or ten years, was just stuff that was, it was basically garbage. And I've heard of other people doing this. Like, one lady told me that her mother had every styrofoam cup that she had used in the last 10 years, and she kept them all. And somebody else told me that they kept boxes. My aunt, actually, before she died, um, she kept string, and she had an enormous ball of string, and it got bigger, and it was huge. And she kept every piece of string from every package that came. And I, I I don't know what that says. Maybe it's just... You know, you're hanging on to things because you're losing your sense of reality. I don't know. But my mother certainly did hang on to a lot of things. And I promised my children I will not do this. Um, and so it was it was kind of eye-opening, but there were some lovely moments as well. I, there was a closet um, in my parents' uh, guest bedroom, and in front of it was a huge dresser. So in all the years they have lived in the house, of course, I'd never opened the closet because I couldn't move the dresser. And when I finally got the, the dresser moved uh, back in June when I, I got possession of the house, there were some lovely things in there, things that I had no idea that she had kept, like all the love letters my dad wrote to her in World War Two, and every piece of paper, paper she ever got about me, my report cards, my school pictures, newspaper columns, I mean, whatever it was, she had a huge box of memories of me. And that was lovely. I mean, that was a surprise that I was very happy to receive. So stuff 
perhaps refers to hoarding and whatever word, the happy word, the happiness of the memory that you discovered refers to something quite else, doesn't it? And that's her love for you, for you and what she felt about you. Is that right? It was lovely because, um, you know, I don't know how much you know about Alzheimer's, but oftentimes people with Alzheimer's will turn their anger and aggression on the person they were most close to before the Alzheimer's struck, and that was, that person was me. So I got the brunt of my mother's anger and, and aggression, um, and that hurt. That, that hurt a lot. But when I found this box of memories, and it was quite a big box, um, it kind of, that bad feeling went away. I realized that, you know, that was just the illness, and it wasn't her real feelings for me, because she had kept track of my entire life, which was quite a long time, and had some left me this lovely little gift of, of all the things that I did not have copies of. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're going to take the break now, and we're going to come back and talk about the challenges. So we'll, as I always say, pay the rent, take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Glynis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchOfDimes.com. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glynis Walker. Our topic is, my mom died and I closed her home. 
Gillis, now let's talk about the challenges you encountered in closing your mother's home. Things that really ah. challenged you. Okay. Now, they the are first, legion. <laughs> yes. The first one is, how do you actually describe the act of the closing of her home? And how prepared well, were you for everything you had to do? I wasn't. And I don't think anybody really is because, you know, you walk into your parents' house and even if they're not there anymore and you know that they're dead, this is where they should be. And I was very hoping that my mother's presence would have found its way back to this house because she loved it so much and all of her stuff was there, all of her photographs and everything that meant something to her was in this house. And when I went through the door the first time and I had the key and I went in and They've been empty, empty for three years, and I hoped that I would feel her, and I didn't. I didn't feel anything except the feeling of an unused, sad place. So that was kind of a downer. And then I, uh, I started looking around and thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? And so I sort of sat down and started making a plan and my first plan was to have a garage sale, because where my mother lived, they're a very big thing. Everybody has garage sales. And I thought, well, this will begin the process of taking the stuff out of the house. And so I got ready for that, and my daughter came, and she helped me, because it, it took two people. Actually, we borrowed somebody else and had them <laughs> come and help, too. But um, it was a two-day affair, and I was exhausted at the end of it. And my daughter, who was very close to her grandmother, she had a hard time with it because, you know, she's, I could see in her eyes there were tears at one point and people were buying stuff and, you know, taking it out of the house. And, and she, t- she said to me, she goes, but they're taking Nanny's stuff. And I said, honey, what are we going to do with it? You know, if they don't buy it for 25 cents or a dollar or whatever it is, we're going to have to pay somebody to take it out of the house. I said, you know, grandmother would like it if her stuff went to somebody who wanted it. And we can't keep all of this stuff because we also have stuff and I don't have anywhere to put that. So it, it was, um, it was emotional. It really was. And, and it did a pretty good job of getting rid of the little things. Um, but then I still had to do the big things and, and all the books. Nobody wants books, by the way. You can't get give books away. And they had this huge library full of books. And it's like, no, I tried donating them. Nobody wanted it. Um, I tried donating a lot of things. And I just thought, nope, don't want to know. And it's like, that was one door that slammed shut. And I thought, now what am I going to do? So, you know, there are, it's not an easy thing. Uh, and it can be expensive as well because... When you got down to the stuff that nobody wants, which is pretty much, you know, the furniture and the clothes and the books and all that stuff, then you have to start paying somebody to come and take it away. So that's, uh, that's kind of like where I was the second time I was there. Uh, now, I'm still asking you the question to, about the challenges, but this time, the, the other things that you had to do in closing a home... What were the challenges you experienced as you did those things? And I'm going to also ask you to say what those things are, the other things besides finding... You have to let go. I mean, it's very difficult because you're basically 
you know, dissolve in your parents' life. And I know that they're already passed on, but this this is their stuff, and it's where they wanted it. And and it's kind of it makes you feel bad because you know my mother was very attached to her things, and I and even when I was you know doing the garage sales, even I was saying to myself, I hope you're not mad at me, mom, but I really have to do something with all of your stuff. And I I hoped that she wasn't angry if she knew what was going on because she treasured her things, and. Um, I felt guilty. I felt terribly guilty. It's a lot more difficult than when when you're moving your own stuff out of a house that's yours uh, because you can throw away with impunity. But when when it's your parents' stuff and you know you, and she treasured it, it's like I felt like I was being disloyal. Now, I want to ask you to pick out the most challenging of these emotional challenges that you experienced in closing the home what what were the things that really did challenge you and probably stay with you to this day at least oh well uh there is kind of a funny story with that part um the night that we ended the garage sale and arabella and that's my daughter and i were just exhausted uh the day before we had had the garage sale the mortuary asked me to come and pick up my mother's ashes uh, because they also did not, not have any more room to store because there's a lot of people die in this area and, uh, you know, it gets crowded. And so I said I would take them uh, and put them with my dad's ashes and, um, you know, in their little urns. And I did. I went and got them and took her for a ride in her car and put her on the fireplace and next to him and then got on with doing everything else. And after the garage sale was over and we were exhausted, um, my daughter decided we needed to eat something, and so she said she'd take care of the food, and I said I would make a fire in the fireplace. When I'm not exactly a Boy Scout, I, I've made exactly two fires in my entire life, and this was the second one, so it took me a while to get going, but I got it going. Anyway, we ate. It got dark, and we'd sold most of the lamps that got really dark, and uh, we had the, the firelight, basically, and we were talking about, you know, my mother and, and her passing and so forth. And my daughter said to me, Mom, what is that funny smell? And my initial thought was, it's got to be the wood smoke from the fireplace. And so I said, go turn on the kitchen overhead. Maybe we can see if there's any smoke in the house. And sure enough, there was this sort of haze that was throughout the dining room and the living room and the family room. And, but it wasn't smoke because it was like a layer, almost like a cloud. And then I looked over at the fireplace and the urn that was holding my mother's ashes had melted. And so the ashes had burned again and that's what was in the house. And it was, um, I know it's not funny, but she really wanted to be in her house, and now she is in her house. She's in the carpets and the draperies. <laughs> she was in our clothes. She was everywhere. So at the very last second, I said, let's get the dustpan, and we'll sweep up the rest of the ashes before any more of them burn. And then my daughter said, well, what are we going to put her in? Because the urn melted. Um, and so we decided that we would put her in her favorite teapot, which is now where she is residing. And... It was a moment that we needed because it made us laugh. If we laughed so hard because we knew that if she understood what was going on, she would be happy. In other words, this 
all this was almost uh, a kind of intervention that said this is something that is going to change the feeling, the heavy feeling that you have, and bring some joy. It unusual did, actually, joy. because um, right after that happened, I mean, that night, I really felt that her presence was in the house, and I felt okay about letting go of her things, because I thought, you know, she understood. Um... So I, it was kind of a, it was a relief for, for both my daughter and I to know that, you know, we've been dreading doing this and it was difficult and we certainly haven't finished with it entirely yet. Um, but this was a moment of very much needed levity and also made us feel that she was close. Would you describe it as a turning point? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because after that, I felt... Um, relief. You know, I felt like I was doing the right thing, what she wanted, and I didn't, I didn't feel guilty anymore. And, um, and I thought it, it was actually, it was very cathartic. Would you go so far as to say that this is something that really has to happen in the course of closing a home in the way that you were doing it? Or do you think um, that if it not, had not have happened, you'd have still been able to do the turnaround. Oh, I would have been able to do it because it's my job to do it. I mean, there isn't anybody else who's going to do it, but this made it much easier, and it it made me feel better about doing it. I mean, now I'm I'm more just organizational with it, you know, because the next time I went, I, uh, I had to get rid of, the stuff that she had been collecting, uh, which is why I found out how the stuff she she had hidden away in cupboards and stuff. Um, and I had to hire somebody to come and, and take stuff to the to the dump. And I picked him totally at random. Um, I just picked out the first one that came up on the Internet. And he came over, and he was very nice. And he goes, oh, I remember this house. He goes, I used to come and take stuff for your parents when they needed stuff to go to the dump. And it was like, what What a coincidence was that? And he turned out to be just a lo- lovely, helping person, and um, that made it easier. Would you go so far as to say then that um, these, this particular type of turning point, which is emotional, is something that everybody should look out for and something that you would almost recommend? Absolutely. Um, My parents, you know, I think it's because, well, they they didn't really think about dying. Well, my my mother couldn't really think about anything, but my dad understood because he was still, you know, pretty all there. Um, And he didn't plan for the, you know, getting rid of the things that he wanted. He just assumed he was never going to die and and that was it so there was no like living will or would you please give this to cousin so-and-so or you know i had no clue what they wanted me to do with all their stuff um and that was difficult that that's a hard that's a hard thing to leave with somebody because i'm sure there are special things that my mother would like to had me keep but i don't know what they were because she never mentioned them and so i i had to guesstimate everything um you know the things that she liked the best and i put those in a box and i am keeping those but the rest of it, it you know it's um 
it's not worth anything, and it's expensive to have it removed. I mean, they had five television sets in their house. Nobody wants them. I can't even give them to charity. Right. Now, we do have to take the break, and so we'll do it now. Um, but we're, going, we're coming back. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Glynis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glynis Walker. Our topic is, My Mom Died and I Closed Her Home. So let's talk about the advice you have for family caregivers going through the experience of closing the home of a loved parent so they can handle this part of life in the best possible way for everyone involved. Now let me start ask you this question. Of all that experience you've been talking to us about, how much of it are you actually going to share with your family members who will be undertaking the role that you've been describing to us regarding your mom? Glennis? Uh, I think... I'm going to do what a lot of people in my generation who were in the same position as me uh, and have gone through, just to put this in perspective, when my grandparents died, they didn't leave stuff. They left the house and it was basically empty. So my mother never had to deal with getting rid of anybody's stuff and my father didn't either. 
so this is, you know, this is my first experience of, of having this happen in my life. And having had it happen, uh, I promise my children that this will not happen to them and that I will be getting rid of stuff as, ASAP. And um, as soon as I got back from the, the, the last trip to be doing this, because I have to do this in stages, um, I started getting rid of stuff. It's like, do I need that? No, that can go. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I really learned something from this, but I don't want to leave a house full of things that other people have to deal with. Because I know my, my kids will pick out the things that are important. They'll keep the photographs. And if they have some memories of me, that that's all that they really need. They don't need the things. Right. Now, let's generalize. Let's go with this question. What advice do you have for family caregivers who are confronting the challenges of dealing with everything that has to be done in closing the home of a loved parent? What's, what's your advice to them? Get help immediately. Can't, you can't do this on your own. And I realized that because the first time I went to the house and started, you know, looking and seeing what I had to do, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that I can't do a lot of things. I can't climb ladders. I can't move heavy furniture. Um, there's, you know, if I, if I was 25, I'd probably be doing a lot better with this. But I have physical limitations now, and, and that is like, that's making it more difficult. And so I have hired somebody to come and, and help with this because I, I simply can't do it on my own. Right. Now, still on the question of a, your advice for family caregivers, what about what advice do you have for family caregivers who are confronting the emotional challenges of closing the home of a loved parent? That is the hardest part. Um, it was very hard for me initially to, you know, it's, it, I guess it's like sometimes inside of us, all of us have a little child who doesn't want to upset mommy. <laughs> and I was in that mode when I first went to the house and started, you know, looking and seeing what I had to do. And all I could think about was, you know, mom wouldn't like this. I don't want her to be mad at me. And it's like, for God's sake, Glennis, you're 60 years old. You know, it's, <laughs> get over it. And um, and then the real estate agent that I hired to sell the house, she goes, well, I think, you know, we should strip the walls and take off the wallpaper. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, my mother loves this wallpaper. You can't. No, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, you have to disassociate yourself from the person who lived in the house and the actual surroundings, you have to realize that, you know, it has to go and it will be somebody else's house and that they can do what they like with it. But it, it, it was kind of an emotional shock when they started talking about, well, we're taking out this wall and we're going to do that. And it's like, oh, my God, this is my mother's house. You can't, you can't do that. But, um, you know, it, it's, you have to train yourself to let it go. Otherwise, you go crazy. You use the word dissociate just then, that is to say to separate yourself and your emotions from the things that you are doing, even those, though those things have profound significance or have had profound significance. Please say more about your methods of dissociation for well, those I, kinds of situations. Kind of learning on the job, Gordon. It's like initially I didn't disassociate myself from it. I was like, I wanted to keep it. 
you know, I wanted to make it, I wanted it to stay there because this has been my home away from home for 35 years. This is where we had Christmases and birthdays and special occasions. And all of a sudden, I was charged with taking it all apart. And I knew that once I started, that place would never be there anymore. You know, the only way it would ever exist now is in my mind, uh, in my memories. And, and that was very, very difficult because this was my little sanctuary, my, my parents' home. Um, the last vestiges of our family life were there. And, and I had to take it all apart. And that's just overwhelming when you start, you know, because all the, the emotions that, that rush in, it's like, in some, in some part of you, you think if you just leave the house the way it was, they will still be there. But, of course, you know that that's not true, but you still feel that it might be. Now, let me ask you again. It's the same question, advice for family caregivers. But what about your advice for family caregivers who are, who are confronting the challenges that arise to their own lives and their families' lives during and following the closing of the home of a loved parent or grandparent. Glennis? Well, I mean, for sometimes, sometimes, I mean, my particular circumstances were, were, you know, different because I live 2,500 miles away from my parents' house. So it was not practical for me to, to bring things, very many things anyway, from there to here. I mean, it just wasn't practical. So I basically had to get rid of everything. And I'm still in the process of doing that, and I figured I'll get there eventually. Um, it's not easy getting rid of somebody's things, not emotionally, not in a practical sense either. Um, especially where my parents lived, there are there's a very large uh, senior population. There's a lot of people die every year, and there's a lot of stuff that has to be gotten rid of to the point where nobody wants stuff, even good stuff. Um, it, it's um, we're in a very awkward place in our in our history that you know when the pioneers lived, they died and they had one suit and two dresses and and you know that was about it. But we have whole houseloads of furniture and clothes and things and. And nobody wants them because, you know, it's all—it's like buying a new, a new car. You know, the minute you take it off the lot, it's worth 30% less than you paid for it. And it's pretty much like that with stuff. You know, you buy stuff, and it has no value to anybody else but you. And so when you've gone, your stuff has no value. But then nobody wants it either. And it's, you know, trying to organize um, dissolving a house is very, very difficult emotionally, uh, practically, financially. I mean, every time I, I have to pay this man to take a, a truckload to the dump, they cost me almost $1,000 because they charge for it. They weigh the truck and how much is in it, and then they charge you for, for the load. And it's like, you know, my parents never thought about who was going to pay for all this. And, of course, it's turning out to be me. And so that's an out-of-pocket expense, of course, like so much else to do with their passing. And, and there was no, um, um, you know, there was nothing in the will to, to accommodate uh, these out-of-pocket costs. So they really are out-of-pocket, and I won't ever get reimbursed. So, you know, there's the practical financial side of it that you have to deal with it as well. You've also said several times that, you have to travel 
to and from the house because you've other things in your life that you've got to do, if I've got understood you correctly. So this means there's a disturbance of your life and maybe your work patterns um, oh. that you also have to reckon with. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, it, it, it costs me about $1,500 each time I go there. That's without my having to do anything about getting rid of stuff. Um, and it, it takes me about a week. And, and because of my, you know, my family responsibilities here, I have to fit it in where I can. So it, 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 is, um, it is very disruptive. And, it, it, you know, it's a week out of my work. It's a week out of my family. Um, you know, things go on here when I'm gone that I need to be here for. And so it, it's, it's just very, very difficult. And for any family caregiver that has any say in this, try and get them whoever it is that you're caring for, to tell you what they want before they go. Um, somebody suggested to me afterwards, and he's a social worker, and he goes, I'm surprised that more people don't write in their will um, what they want done with their stuff. You know, would you like Cousin Fred to get the artwork? Would you like this? Would you like that? People just assume that you're going to know, and of course you don't. Still on this question of advice, and that is the organization of lives, does this additional burden and stress cause stress within the family? That is, I'm not saying this has happened to you, but could it be that what you're, the time you're spending um, is causing some sense that you're not doing your duty for your family? Could oh, that absolutely. Absolutely. And and also, in my case, I'm an only child, so I didn't have to deal with uh, brothers and sisters, although it would have been nice because they could have helped out with all this. But you also, I have seen family situations where there's a lot of infighting. Well, I want this. No, I want that. I was actually in the hospital once with a lady, and she had three grown children, and I mean, they were over 60, that, and she was 90. Uh, and they were fighting about her stuff as she's laying in the hospital bed. No, I want the couch, and I want this. And, and she's dying, and they're still arguing over who's going to get her stuff. So that's, that's another side of this situation that I didn't have to deal with. Um, but it can, be, it can be, I mean, with my stepchildren, um, when their mother died, it's been... 35 years now, and they are still arguing over who got what. So, you know, this can go on and on and on, and stress and the bad feelings and the recriminations. It'd be a lot easier if the person who is, you know, likely going to be going had some instructions left saying, I want so-and-so to have this, and I want that person to have this. You know, then that eliminates all of that. Right. Now, we have to take the break again, and so that, let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Glynis Walker. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc.com. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Glynis Walker. Our topic is My Mom Died and I Closed Her Home. Dennis, now let's talk about the things that you would like to do and see done to help people and their families with the challenges of closing the home of a loved parent. So first question is, what more would you like to do through your work as a writer and a broadcaster? Dennis? I think we need to bring this subject out in the open a lot more. I mean, what you're doing with your show is great because you do address uh, issues and situations that generally don't make it into public conversations. But you really need to talk about it. And it's not gruesome and it's you're not ghoulish or whatever uh, you might think about, you know, people you know, talking about their death wishes. Um, it's just common sense. You know, I pretty much already know what I want done with my stuff. And I just wish that more people would would have that little talk or, or get a document uh, drawn up. Or, you know, you can actually buy kits now like they, that contain a living will that, you know, you can say what kind of music you want at your funeral and, and where does Cousin Joe come into all this and what does he get. And you can actually write it all down. And and that's not, that's not you know, uh dodging the Grim Reaper or anything. It just means that you're making it a lot easier for the people who are going to be taking care of your wishes after you're gone to, to deal with um, 
your things because, you know, if you have a collection of uh, art or, you know, special, I don't know, whatever things that people collect and you want it to go to a certain person, you have to say so. You have to put it in writing. Otherwise, it makes it very, very difficult um, uh, on those who remain behind. I know in... in um, when my husband's first wife died, she had a lot of really nice jewelry. And my stepsons and their wives are still to this day. And they're up, or, you know, up in their age group around uh, 55 and 60, still fighting about who got what piece of jewelry. And it's like, does it really matter? Wouldn't it have been just easier if you'd written it all down just so that you could avoid all of this? Now, that leads to my next question, which is what more would you like to see done by lawyers, financial professionals, and community organizations um, that are going to help with the sorts of situations or overcome the situations you're talking about? Dennis? Well, I think that, you know, in, in a good death, there should be organization. And that's where lawyers and financial advisors I mean, for instance, if you have uh, stocks and bonds and shares and so forth, you can't just leave everything in your will, sort of, I'm leaving my entire estate to so-and-so. There's details. You know, if you want the your stock portfolio broken up and distributed to your grandchildren, you need to say so. You know, and it, and it, it behooves the family uh, of the person that, that, you know, is likely going to be passing to, to just don't ignore it. And I know it's very, very hard to have that conversation with your parents about what their final wishes are because it, it was actually my dad wouldn't talk to me when we found out that he was dying. He, um, he just wouldn't talk. He wouldn't talk to my mother. He wouldn't talk to me. He just shut up. And so nobody knew what he wanted. And he had no will. Uh, we didn't know what kind of insurance he had. We didn't have anything. We didn't have a clue. And that made it very, very difficult for me afterwards because I was the one that had to deal with, you know, all the finances and finding all the documents. And he had them all hidden all over the house. I mean, under cushions, behind books, um, under carpets. I mean, I, he was a little, you know, secretive, I guess is the word. But it, it made it very, very hard for me to settle his estate. And then later on, of course, with her, she had different problems. But it'd be just nice for the caregivers not to have to kind of guess what you want. Uh, get it in writing, put it down on paper, stick it in the safety deposit box, and forget about it. Now, that advice is very important. I mean, all of us, I think, can relate exactly to what you're saying. But one of the challenges I'd put back to you is this. Uh, when do you do it? Because if you leave it, and I'm talking about you as a family caregiver, if you leave it to the very last moment, um, then that might not be the best of times for any kind of decision-making, perhaps because Alzheimer's is set in or something else. On the other hand, to go to a fit um, grandparent who or parent who's very active, involved in all kinds of things, and say, I want to sort things out for when you die with you. It might be a difficult conversation. So what's your sense of when that conversation should take place? 
Well, it's very individual. Obviously, it's based on the, you know the personalities and the psychology of the people involved. I mean, I tried talking with my dad years and years before he died. You know, uh, and he was always very vague about things, and he just brushed it off. And that was it. So, you know, it's not like I didn't make the effort. He just wasn't having any of it. And I think that if you can maybe do it by example, like if you're 45 or 50 and you have children, responsibilities, uh, you might bring it up by saying, you know, Mom and Dad, I just got a living will because I want to make sure the kids are taken care of if anything happens to me. Hey, why don't you think about doing that, too? You know, that way we're all in the death business together. And I don't want to be, it's not, I'm not being facetious, but everybody knows, unless they know something I don't know, we're all going to die at some point. We could at least organize it a little bit better. Right. Okay, now my final question to you, which is a key one, is what's your message for family caregivers who are just starting out on their journey of closing the home of a loved parent? Don't get overwhelmed. <laughs> Just take it, you know, if it, whatever you feel comfortable with, like room by room, thing by thing, all the china, whatever. I mean, just try and take it apart as you would if it was your own house. Like, I'm going to take this and keep that, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find that's going. Um, just don't get overwhelmed with it. You will get through it. You absolutely will. And, and if you're really organized about it, you'll probably, and you live in the same town, you'll probably get through it a lot faster than I did. But you just, you can't, because you have to do it. There's just, there's no way of begging off this situation. You just have to do it. So the less stress you put on yourself and your family, um, and don't hang on to things. You know, it's, it, things are not what's important. It's the memories and, and, you know, the good times that you had. Things are just things, and they will pass on to somebody else. I mean, I always think about an example is what I always think of it. It's an antique, right? Several people owned it before this person. Somebody's going to own it afterwards. It doesn't matter. It's just an antique. Now that's... So, Carry on. Sorry. Carry on. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, so this whole thing, we have to get, I guess, rid of the idea of possession. You know, we really don't possess our things. They possess us, and we have to get past that. Let me just come back to you on the question of memories. Things like photographs and things like um, documents, the sort that you were describing that your mom kept on you, those have value that's particular to the individual and the family. Are those things that need special effort to preserve, or is it just the memories that need to be preserved and not the documentation of those memories? What do you think? Um, I like this, because oh, I love, I'm a, you know, I'm an historian uh, by by uh, desire, and I love old documents, and I love old photographs, because it gives you a, a, a glimpse into the past that, you know, won't happen again if, if you don't have documentation. Like, I found uh, 
my mother's driver's test while I was going through her stuff. And I'd never seen it before. She didn't get her driver's license since she was 65, so it was a pretty big deal. And I was so proud of her. And so I'm keeping that because it tells me something about her as a person. And I'm going to keep that, and then my girls will have it. And, and that, you know, that's the love letters that my parents wrote each other in World War II. It's priceless. It, yes. It's just it's living history, and it tells you a lot about them before I was even born. Yes, exactly. And it's the, it's the heritage, isn't it? Exactly. And I'd like my kids to have that. I mean, that's the important stuff. It's not stuff. Yes, exactly. It's not stuff. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this extraordinarily interesting and I think very important episode because, Venice, you've raised things that families really do need to talk about um, to save themselves a lot of stress as well as doing things in a way that preserve the things that need to be preserved and not to take too much stress or spend too much time on things that really only are stuff or antiques, as you call them, uh, to be handed on to somebody else. So, Glennis, thank you very much. And I do hope that as a broadcaster and as a writer, you're going to write and say more about this story because I think it needs more attention, and you've said that. It certainly does, Gordon, and thank you very much. You're very welcome. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Raising a Child with Diabetes. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.